Didn't the choir sound wonderful this morning? Amen. I know Brother Andy and uh, worked so hard. They all come together every week and they really work and they practice to be able to lead us into the presence of God each Sunday that we come together and worship. You know, there was one difference. I'm convinced that when we get to heaven that we're going to, there's going to be a choir just like that singing praises for thousands and thousands of years to the Lord. Now, there's going to be one difference between this choir and that choir in heaven. You know what that's going to be? I'm going to be in it. Thank you, Brother Kevin. That's the difference. You know, for months, I have waited for a personal invitation uh, to the choir, brother. I have. I go to my mailbox every day thinking that I'm going to receive some kind of invitation. Uh, But eventually, I just gave up, and I decided I would try to do something different on Sunday morning besides singing the choir. Uh, And so, no, they really do a, a great job. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I hope that you've experienced God's grace in your life. If you've experienced God's grace in your life, I can promise you this, there is no doubt in your mind if you've truly experienced God's grace. You cannot be touched by the grace of God and not be radically affected by that. Isn't that so true? Yes, it is. And as a result of that, once our hearts and our lives have been touched by God's grace, there should be this overwhelming desire in our lives to want to serve the Lord with every ounce of passion and strength that I have. Isn't that true? Yes. I mean, when Jesus Christ hung and died on the cross, He hung and died there to pay the penalty for our sin. And when He saved us, you know what Scripture says? He saved us so we could sit in a pew and soak. No, that's not what Scripture says, huh? If your Bible says that, then you need to see me after services because that's not what my Bible... He saved us so that we can use the gifts, the abilities, and the talents that we have to bring honor and glory to His name. Isn't that true? To serve God's people and to serve Him. When every single person uses their giftedness in God's church, the body of believers function in the manner in which God desires for it to function. It doesn't matter if you're on the fringe of the church. It doesn't matter if you're very involved in the church. If you are a member at Crestwood Baptist Church, I want to encourage you to find your place of service to the Lord here at Crestwood. Because we'll never ever be the body of believers that God desires us to be until every single person uses their giftedness for the edifying of the believers and for the feathering of God's kingdom. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning, but I would ask you this question. You can answer to yourself. Are you serving effectively in God's church? Are you using your gifts to minister and touch the lives of other people? I ask that for a very important reason this morning, and the reason I ask that is this. We're going to be talking about servanthood today. Yeah. We're going to be looking into God's Word and what God's Word wants to teach us about serving. Serving. Now, I want to share a little bit about me personally with you this morning, something you may not know. But in October of this year, I will have been in the ministry for 26 years of my life. Now, some of you are like, oh, well, Brother Jeff, 
I didn't know that you were, were over 26. Well, I am. I just started when I was really young and got involved in ministry. And so we'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to share any years because I don't want you doing the math. I want you listening to what God's Word has to say to our lives this morning. But in my 26 or almost 26, it'll be in October of this year, will be 26 years. In that 26 years of ministry, I have come to understand a very important truth. A truth that I have learned. I love to watch people. And as I have watched people throughout ministry, this is what I have learned. Generally speaking, people will make time for that which is most important in their life. Let me say it again. Generally speaking, people will make time for that which is most important in their life. Think about it for a moment. If our family is important to us, we'll prioritize time in our life to be with our family. If materialism is important to you or to anyone else, they'll make time to work more hours to earn more money to fulfill the desires of their heart and their life. Isn't that true? Do you know that is true spiritually as well? If... God's church and God's people are really important to you. You'll prioritize time to be with God's people, your spiritual family. You know, throughout ministry, I've had people make statements to me that has just confused me. I've had people tell me about their great love for God but not for His church. You do know that's impossible, right? You know it is utterly impossible for us to claim that we have a great love for Jesus Christ and not for His people. Jesus said the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. And the second is much like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. John went on to expound in 1 John and said, if you truly love God, you will love the brethren. You'll desire to have fellowship with them. Now please hear what I'm saying this morning. I don't know what is going on in each and every person's life. I know no one's work schedule outside of my own work schedule in this church. But I will say this, God knows all. He knows our heart, and when He looks, He examines the heart to see if our actions match our words. Words that are not followed by action are simply hollow. They are simply hollow. I'm reminded of what my mother used to tell my brother and I all the time. She used to tell us or remind us boys, I don't know why she never reminded my sister, but it seemed like she was always reminding us boys, probably because she knew us. She used to say, boys, I'm going to tell you this, your actions always speak louder than your words. 
your actions always speak louder than your words. Every Sunday morning that we come together as God's people, if you receive the messenger when you come into this church, written across the top of the messenger are these word, words. We are a connected community. When I read those words, I always ask the question, is that really true? Are we here at Crestwood Baptist Church a connected community of believers? Are we allowing people the opportunity to connect with other believers in Christ as a spiritual family? Is it possible in your life you are not connected at Crestwood by choice rather than opportunity? Is that possible? As I look at our church, there are opportunities every single week for anyone who would like to, to connect to their spiritual family here at Crestwood Baptist Church. That is the reason why I have been preaching on Sunday mornings for the last two Sundays, and we're going to finish up this Sunday, getting connected with your spiritual family. We've talked about getting connected to your spiritual family through worship, getting connected to your spiritual family through sacrificial giving. And this is what I want you to take away from that. We need to make corporate worship a priority in our lives because corporate worship is an opportunity for us to connect with our spiritual family. And I will tell you this morning, there is value in us connecting with our spiritual family. There's value in that. You'll never ever be all that you need to be in Jesus Christ apart from the body of Jesus Christ. We cannot grow in isolation. We need one another to grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the truth of the matter. Now, I feel like this morning I may be preaching to the choir because you're all here today. But if you will just stay with me, Hopefully, God is going to challenge us through His Word this morning because I want to talk to you about getting connected with your spiritual family through serving. We are commanded in Scripture over and over again to serve one another as God's people. Isn't that true? Isn't that what God's Word teaches us? Isn't that what God's Word challenges us to do as His people? To serve one another? Well... Let's judge from God's Word. Let's hear what God's Word has to say about it. Jesus Christ Himself said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ said, My ministry will be characterized by these two things. Serving, giving, is what He said. Now, if Jesus Christ makes that statement to us, Aren't we challenged in God's Word to follow the example of Jesus Christ? Aren't we challenged to do that? This is yes, this is no, yes, yeah. Now we're all, I just want to make sure we're all together on the same page this morning. Yes. Jesus goes on to further elaborate about serving in John the 13th chapter. You know what He says there? Jesus took up a towel and a basin of water... He went to a group of disciples 
and he began to wash each one of their feet. And then you know what Jesus said after that? Jesus said, you would do well if you follow my example. Now we can debate as to whether that passage of Scripture is prescriptive or descriptive. If it's descriptive, it's simply describing something that was culturally acceptable at that day and time. If it's prescriptive, then what we ought to all do is every week come together and wash one another's feet. And you know what? I'm not saying we're fixing to have a good old-fashioned foot washing, but you know, it may be a good thing. We would really identify those who have servant hearts in God's church if we just had a good old-fashioned foot washing, wouldn't we? I really think that it is descriptive in what Jesus Christ was showing us. He's giving us an example of who we should be as God's people. We should be servants. We should be servants. I was telling my Sunday school class earlier this morning, I have physical reminders in my office that I reflect upon to help remind me of who I am supposed to be in Christ because the tendency is in my heart, probably not yours, is that to allow the world to seep into my life and to begin to allow the thinking of the world to creep into my life. And I began to think like the world and I began to think, really, you know, as a pastor, I'm kind of the CEO here and they ought to be waiting on me. I shouldn't be waiting on them. Now, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Don't we all struggle with that? Let's be real honest this morning. Which one do you desire most? To be served or to serve? Let's be honest about it. Which one do you desire? Our human nature craves to be served. You know what the opposite of serving is, don't you? The opposite of serving is selfishness. The very fabric of, it goes against the very fabric of our nature to serve. Unless we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and He has transformed our hearts and our lives. And if He's done that, I can promise you this, He can take you and He can change you into a person who has a servant mentality. And the only way that can happen in our life this morning is for us to understand what is greatness in the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Mark the 10th chapter this morning. Mark the 10th chapter. There's a very intriguing story that is taking place in this passage of Scripture. The intriguing story is this. Jesus Christ has just announced for the third time that He is going to Jerusalem to die. Each time that Jesus Christ makes this announcement, it causes much conflict among His apostles. The first time Jesus announced it, Peter rebuked Jesus Christ. 
Essentially, what, Jesus, what he was saying to Jesus Christ is this. Jesus, you don't really know what you're talking about. Now, before you point the finger at Peter, we may need to examine how many times we tell Jesus Christ that in our life. How many times does Jesus give us opportunities to serve and we say, oh, and you know, hmm, I know. No, I'm not going to make too much commitment down there at that church house. I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to do that. Do you see what I'm saying? A second time Jesus makes that announcement, you know what happens the second time? A conflict breaks out among the disciples. They begin to argue over who will be greatest in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not Jesus, but if I was Jesus, I would just quit announcing that I was going somewhere to die. Because it does nothing but cause conflict in the hearts and the lives of his followers. The third time Jesus makes that announcement is in Mark the 10th chapter. And in Mark the 10th chapter, after he has just announced, I'm going to Jerusalem and there I'm going to die. James and John, two brothers, apostles of Jesus Christ, see the opportunity to do a little Self-promotion. So you know what they do? They said, hey Jesus, now when you come into your kingdom, would you grant to me and my brother one to sit on the left-hand side and the other to sit on the right-hand side? Those were positions of honor and authority in the kingdom of God. You know what's unique about that? The right-hand side was more highly sought after than the left-hand side. I wonder what would have happened if Jesus would have looked at John and James and said, Oh, you know, James, I don't like you near as much as I like John. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let John have that right-hand side. And, you know, because you're lesser, I'm going to give you the left-hand side. Do you think an argument would have broke out? I do. I do. I really do. Do you know what Mark records in this story for us? He says, after they made that request, the ten, that's the other apostles, become indignant with the two. They're angry. They're upset. They are mad. Because of the request. As a matter of fact, that word indignation means intense anger. It means livid. In other words, there is an argument that has broken out among the apostles that is almost at the point of coming to fisticuffs. Can you imagine that for a moment? They must have been Baptists, huh? Maybe. They are upset. Now, before you jump on the bandwagon of the ten and think that the ten have this righteous indignation and that they're really only concerned about Jesus Christ, that is not the truth of the matter at all. You see, their problem, the ten, 
is they were scared they were going to miss out on their rightful place in the kingdom of God. You know what they were really upset about? They didn't think about asking Jesus Christ the question first. That's what they're upset about. They're angry. They're scared. They're not going to get their rightful place in the kingdom of God. Is that really any different sometimes than people in God's church? How many people leave God's church because they didn't get the place of service they thought they should, they should have gotten? Or they weren't asked to serve in this way? Isn't that true? We all probably know stories of people who have taken up themselves, they've gone out the doors of the church house because they are disappointed they were not asked to serve in that manner. Or they don't have a position or a title that goes along with their place of service. Isn't that true? So Jesus sees an opportunity here to teach about true greatness in the kingdom of God. I want you to listen to the words here. You know, verse 42, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, now I've already laid the context. He's heard the argument. He knows it's ensued. He has invited them to come to himself. He sees it as an opportunity to teach them. Now listen, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be, your sla- must be the slave of all. Verse 45, don't miss this statement. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ outlines for us what greatness in His kingdom looks like. And this is what He boils it down to. He boils it down to one word. Servanthood is greatness in the kingdom of God. That's what He says. You know what my desire is one day for God's church? When we start looking to fulfill, looking to fill positions that we have people that are climbing over the top of one another trying to find their place of service in God's church. I long for that day. I long for that day. Where people say, it is so important for me to find my place of service in God's church. I want to get plugged in. I want to get connected to the body. I desire to serve because I love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, above and beyond everything else in this world. That is the desire of my heart, is to serve. Let me share with you this morning three principles of servanthood that Jesus Christ makes very clear in His words. Number one, spiritual immaturity is marked by disagreement, not service. Spiritual immaturity is marked by disagreement, not service to the Lord. Don't we see that in this story? I mean, think about it. James and John were selfishly ambitious. The ten, well, let's just be honest, they were just plain jealous. Weren't they? And you know what? People in God's church oftentimes will fit in one of those two categories. Not those who are serving, not those who have a desire to want to honor and glorify the Lord, 
But there are some people in God's church, the only reason they serve is for title and position. And if they don't have a title and position, they'll take their toys and they'll go home. Isn't that true? Yeah. It is. And then there's others who are like the ten, and their problem is they are, se- they are just extremely jealous. I remember in our home when my children were growing up, we used to have a book entitled The Green-Eyed Monster. You ever heard that book? It is a great book about jealousy. As a matter of fact, I think all of us adults could learn something very important from that book. Now, before we point the finger at the apostles and seem appalled at their behavior, we need, to be, we need to be very careful. We need to ask ourselves the challenging question, do I find myself in one of these two groups? The selfishly ambitious or the extremely jealous? You do know both of them are wrong, right? They are. Now, this is what our world says. We need to look out for number one. No one else is going to look out for my self-interest. Isn't that true? If I'm going to get anywhere in life, what do I need to do? Promote self. Isn't that true? And sometimes that mentality bleeds over into God's people. It's challenging living in the world and not being of the world, isn't it? Yes. Sometimes the world stains us, doesn't it? Now here is the lesson I want you to learn from this principle. The more mature spiritually you are, the greater desire you will have to serve. And the opposite of that is true as well. The more immature you are spiritually, the more you will nitpick, be argumentative, and critical of others. The question we must ask ourselves this morning is this. What characterizes my life as a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it characterized by servanthood? Spiritual maturity is marked by service, not by disagreement and petty jealousness. This is the first principle that we learn in this passage of Scripture. Number two, spiritual greatness is marked by how many people you serve, not how many people you control. Spiritual greatness in the kingdom of Jesus Christ is marked by the number of people you serve, not by the number of people you control. That's the total opposite of everything that the world screams at at us, doesn't it? Who's the most powerful man on earth? The President of the United States. And he controls thousands, if not millions, of people's lives, doesn't he? And the world looks up to him and they say, that is greatness. Isn't that what they say? Yeah. But the amazing thing is, when Jesus defines greatness in his kingdom... It's at the polar opposite of what the world says. 
Have you ever noticed that? Jesus refutes this notion. He says in his kingdom, true spiritual greatness is determined by the number of people you serve, not the number of people who bow before you. Have you ever noticed that? That Jesus Christ's standard of measuring things is so different than that of the world. Here's what I want you to take away from this second principle. Truly great people in the eyes of Jesus are those who choose to serve not be served. If you are really concerned about whether you are great in the kingdom of God, you need to ask yourself the question, am I a servant? That'll answer that question for you. Number three, your level of service is determined, don't miss it, by your level of sacrifice. Your level of service is determined by your level of sacrifice. That principle is clearly seen in Jesus' life. And it's made very clear in the words of Jesus as he closes this passage of Scripture. As Jesus closes his teaching, this is what he says, For even the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom presents to us a great spiritual picture. In a spiritual sense, that is exactly what, God, what has happened to all of mankind. All of mankind was kidnapped and being held captive by our sins. But God, who is rich in His mercy and grace, paid the ransom for our release through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ was the ransom for us. Do you really want to know if you're serving? Ask yourself this question. Is there any measure of sacrifice in your life in terms of your energy, your time, your resources, and your money? How you answer that question will answer the first question for you if you are really serving or not. If there is no sacrifice in our life, there is no true service in our lives. If there's no sacrifice. Do you remember what David said in the Old Testament? When he bought the field, I will offer no sacrifice unto the Lord that cost me Nothing cost me nothing, is what he said. Do you want to know the level of Jesus' sacrifice this morning? I mean, the level of Jesus' service this morning? Just look at his sacrifice. Jesus said, this is what my life is all about. Serving and giving. He sacrificed His life for you and I. I heard a missionary one time make the statement, and it stuck with me for many years. He said, if your salvation cost you nothing, maybe it's because you have nothing. 
Let me say it again. If your salvation cost you nothing, maybe it's because you have nothing. Now, understand what he's saying here. He's not saying that we're saved by doing good works. But what he is saying is this. A life of service indicates that we have genuinely been saved. You say, well, how do you know that, preacher? Because Jesus Christ said this, you would do well if you follow my example. Do you see what I'm saying? Genuine salvation is characterized by a life of service unto the Lord. We're not saved by what we do. Please don't leave here saying that. That's not what I'm saying. But what we do just indicates if we are truly saved or not. Let me ask you a question this morning. If Jesus Christ offered up his life for you and I in service and sacrifice. Can anything less be expected of our lives? Can it be? Jesus Christ said, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Father God, we thank you for the way your word speaks into our hearts and our lives this morning. Your word is truth. Your word is powerful and living and is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, as we enter into this time of invitation, my prayer is that each one of us would respond in the appropriate way. Father, I know not, I know not what's going on in the vast majority of the people's lives here this morning, but you do. Lord, you know the intent of their heart. You know the desires of their heart. And Lord, I realize in all of our lives at times there are extenuating circumstances that keep us from being able to serve in the manner that we would desire to serve. But Lord, I pray that our lives as your followers would be characterized by a life of service. Lord, you have your way in our heart and our life this morning. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.